So is there anybody here who feels ordinary? Oh, yeah. You sheepishly put up your hand. Not even sure you can do it. Ah, being ordinary. Being ordinary has become a little popular now, but really, when you think about it, we still live in a world that, that um, honors the exceptional. And uh, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of books written about it right now. There's books out, one's called The Extraordinary Gift of Being Ordinary. One is The Delight of Being Ordinary. I like this one, The Forgotten Art of Being Ordinary, and the, the subtitle is Finding Your Way in a World that Accepts or That Expects the Exceptional. And I, you know, I, I was an ordinary kid. I always felt very ordinary. In school, I was average at best. Uh, in sports, I was horrible. In fact, I, I grew up in a time where they actually had cuts for peewee league baseball. I was cut. Okay, I know, it's so sad. I was always the smallest kid. All the girls were bigger than I was, and up until sixth grade, my nickname was Shrimp Cocktail, and that is really true. It's terrible. I had a pitiful life. Now, I was just, really, I, I was just, just an ordinary kid. And then there was Robbie Sprickman, and I changed his name so you don't look him up online. But Robbie Sprickman is now a CEO of a company and a CFO of two other companies. And um, Robbie, I invited Robbie to my, my birthday party because I thought, wow, if Robbie could come to my birthday party, maybe I'll be special. Robbie was smart. He got all good grades. He was athletic. He was popular. He could talk to everybody. But when I got his birthday card, I realized I had better handwriting than him. And that meant a lot to me because that was pretty bad, let me tell you. Oh, ordinary. Being ordinary is just so ordinary and so mundane. And we've been studying Philippians and we've ta been talking about having a gospel first life. Living the way Paul lived where the gospel meant everything to you. But if you're like me, sometimes you probably feel a little bit like, I have a hard time relating to Paul. I mean, he was just so good at that. And the Lord used him in such a powerful way. And, and well, that's just not me. And then in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul said, if you really want the, the best example of how you're supposed to live as a Christian, let's look at Jesus. And that's where he presented the, the Jesus that, that he was God and that he emptied himself of the rights and privileges that, that he held. And he let those go so that he could become the lowest form of a human in order to raise us up and be like him. But even if with that, I say, but that's so hard to be. It's just, it's so unnatural for me to be that. So in today's passage, we're going to, to meet a couple of other characters. These are men who are just ordinary guys, but the Lord used them in a special way, and they made some decisions in their lives so that they could live the gospel-first life. And so we're going to look at these men and hopefully come away from this by, by what we read today and say, you know what? Maybe I can live the gospel first life. And so we're going to, going to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Uh, we come to this very personal part in the letter. Uh, here, Paul is actually just giving travel plans for Timothy and Epaphroditus, two men. Travel plans. And so as we look at this, you say, well, why is this in the Bible? I mean, we just came off of that great passage 
where, where we talk about Jesus emptying himself of his godliness. And now we're talking about travel plans. What does this have to do? Why is this in our Bibles? And so we look at this, and I think the point of this is that we get to look at two men who are about to travel who are living the gospel first life. And so maybe you and I can, can come away from this and say, actually, maybe, maybe we can live the gospel first life, even though I may not be an apostle Paul. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's pray. Lord, our desire is to know how to do this, just as ordinary people, as mundane people. We just need to know how, how do we live and make the gospel so primary, so important, so vital, that we cannot live without it and we not, cannot be silent about it. Lord, show us today. Please work through your word to change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me give you some highlights. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, so far has said that the important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. It's the important thing, the most important thing. It is the highest calling we have. And that calling is not just for pastors, not just for missionaries, not just for evangelists. It is the calling for every Christian that the most important thing is that Christ is preached. We had a missionary here a few weeks ago, Cam Wolford, who said, your job is just your job, but our calling is to preach Christ, no matter what we're doing. So the important thing is that Christ is preached. And he reinforces this in chapter 1, verse 22, by saying, I am to go on, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So what Paul is saying is that the preaching of Christ is what gives his life value. And he's saying that for all of us, that as we preach Christ, we are given value. Our, we can judge our work by, the val, by its value. I'm sorry, we can judge the value of our work by whether or not Christ is preached. At this church, we say, and our purpose statement is that FCC exists to equip everyone for spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. That means that all of our ministries have the purpose of Christ being preached. If we're going to take the Apostle Paul's standard, then we're going to apply that to every ministry. So we ask ourselves the question, in, in our children's program, in what's happening downstairs right now in children's church, is Christ being preached? If so, it has value. In our library, is Christ being preached? Yes, in a different way, but is Christ being preached? Yes, so it has value. Our men's ministry, our ladies' ministry, whatever ministry we have, the value is gained by whether or not Christ is being Preach. So if we're going to follow the apostles' logic, we have to ask that question about our own lives. Is Christ being preached? Because it's there that we gain value in this very important, important calling that we have. Paul states it this way in, in verses in chapter 127. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So the primary unifying factor in a church needs to be whether or not Christ is being preached. So if Christ is being preached, if, if Christ is everything, if we're all about the gospel, then we will be unified because that is our one and most important purpose. But at the same time, 
disunity when we focus on things that are of lesser importance and become divided, then that affects us being able to accomplish our purpose. The gospel first life is Christ being preached. So we learn through Philippians so far that the gospel towers over everything, even our own self-interests. With it at front and center, we ought to be able to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than ourselves. And look not only to our own interests, but also look to the interests of others. So, in the last few weeks, we have focused on the gospel. We've defined it for you. We've said, we've, we've told you that the gospel is Jesus Christ giving himself up, dying on the cross so that he could save sinners. And by doing so, when we put our faith and trust in his work on the cross, we join him in salvation. We join his family, the family of God. And then we can learn to become gospel first Christians. So we've talked about what the gospel is. We've talked about how important it is and that we need to be ready to share it. So I wanted to just take a moment and give you an opportunity. In your bulletin and on the screen in front of you here will be this three easy ways to share the gospel. Now I know you can't read it from back there. That's okay. You don't have to read it. But this is in your bulletin. If you didn't get one, get one on the way out. If you were to look up online, Easy ways to share the bullet, share the bulletin, yes. Easy ways to share the gospel. You, there's all kinds of methods, but this is something that I have used for years. And what it is, is it just says, it helps me to remember this this way. I need to be able to say something about God, something about me or people, something about Jesus, and then something about faith. Because if I can talk about those things, I can very concisely share the gospel with somebody. So I'm just gonna go through the third row here. So what I would do is I say, so if I wanted to tell you something about God, I'd say, for God says, for I am the Lord your God who upholds you, uh, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. So I say, so something about God is that he cares about you. He loves you and he wants to help you. But something about me is this, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So you understand that God wants to help you, wants to be a part of your life, but my sins and your sins have put a separation between that God who wants to help you and you. And so, then I, we, uh, so now I want to tell you something about Jesus. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So even though a separation came between you and God because of your sin, God sent his own son, Jesus, and he is constantly interceding for you to God. And so all you have to do is put your faith in God. And the Bible says that yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when you believe in the work of Jesus Christ that he died for your sin, then you belong to God now. 
and you are his child. It says that if you believe in him, you become his child, and now God can help you the way he said he wanted to help you way back in that first box. So just an easy way to share the gospel. If you were to just read this every night before bed or whenever you open your Bible, just pick one of these rows, just one, and just read it every day, those verses would become so natural for you and that process will become so natural for you and you'll be amazed at how the Lord will bring you opportunity to share the gospel in that way and become a gospel first Christian. So I wanted to share that, but now with that in mind, now I I would like to jump ahead to uh, chapter two, verse 19. This is where we're gonna focus our attention. We're gonna read it. We'll make observations, and then we'll try to apply it as we go. Rather than waiting till the end of the message, we'll try to apply this as we go. Chapter, nine, chapter 2, verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. But they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving with his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. So let me just remind you, Paul is in prison. He's actually in in what we call home prison, so he's at home. He's chained to a guard. But Timothy, who is not chained to a guard, has been able to come and help Paul. He's probably bringing him food. He's probably tending to his needs. He's probably writing down letters as Paul is reciting them. So Timothy has been a familiar help to Paul. The, The Philippians would have known Timothy because he was with Paul when Paul planted the church in Philippi, when Paul first brought the gospel to them. So what else do we know about Timothy? We know that he is a trusted confidant of Paul. Paul has been depending upon him. In fact, in Paul's writings in the New Testament, Timothy is mentioned 24 times. That's how much they were related and how how connected they were. He was really Paul's right-hand man. We know that Timothy was a Jew on his mother's side and a Gentile on his father's side. We know that because the Bible tells us that his mother and grandmother trained him in the scriptures. But the fact that he wasn't circumcised as a child, he wasn't circumcised until he was older, we know that he did not grow up in the synagogue, so he probably did not receive Jewish education but rather Greek education. And, and then later on, after he became a believer through Paul's ministry, he was circumcised so that as Paul was relating to Jews and Gentiles, Timothy would have access to both. And so that's what we know about Timothy. So we, we look at his very unique background and say, wow, God just made everything happen perfectly so that he could do what God called him to do. He could relate to Jews. He could relate to Gentiles. He could help Paul. And maybe the first application here is to acknowledge that God sovereignly designs everything about us so that he could use us to become gospel-first Christians. God decided your family. He decided your socioeconomic situation He decided your adequacies and your inadequacies, your your physique, your functions and your dysfunctions. Everything about you, God sovereignly orchestrated 
because he desires to use you to promote the gospel, to preach Christ. I think we spend too much time grieving over our past hurts. Now, I'm not saying saying we shouldn't deal with our past hurts. We must deal with our past hurts. But can we deal with them already and get on with the gospel now? Right? I mean, we spend so much time about that, worrying about, oh, my father wasn't this, my mother wasn't this, or whatever. Right? Hey, God wants to use that inadequacy you had in your life for his purpose, for his gospel. So let's, let's get on with it. We spend so much time grieving over what we could have been or should have been and we just never turned out to be. Instead, let's, let's align our dreams up with what, the, what Christ says, which is that he wants to use you for the advancement of the gospel. Let's line our dreams up toward that. I think we spend too much time being discontent over what we have or, or what we don't have instead of thanking God for whatever it is we, we have and don't have and praying that God would use it for the advancement of the gospel. Lord, okay, I don't have the biggest house. Use my house anyway. Use it for the gospel. I don't have a fancy brand new car. That's okay, Lord. Help me to use my car to, for, to put Christ first in my life. Everything we have. You know, Acts 17 says that the Lord actually puts us exactly where he puts us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, so that those around would seek him because of our being exactly there. That's amazing. So maybe today, maybe one application you can make is to to pray, Lord, help me to use everything I have and everything I am to become a gospel-first Christian to live and put the gospel first. Well, as we read in Philippians, Paul describes Timothy in such a special way. I I get the feeling like Paul wrote these first couple of chapters by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, this is exactly what you need to be as a believer. And then he says, hey, by the way, I'm gonna send Timothy to you. And then it's like the bell goes off. Wow, you know, Timothy is really an example of all those things the Holy Spirit just told me to write about. He, calls, he says Timothy had a kindred spirit, which refers back to uh, chapter 2, verse 2, where he said we're to be united in spirit. He says that Timothy genuinely is concerned for your welfare, which brings us back to chapter 2, verse 3, where he says that we are to consider others as more important as ourselves. He says that Timothy served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, which refers back to to the first chapter where Paul says, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he says to us here in this passage, he says that Timothy, he says, you know of his proven worth, and which refers back to 127 where Paul says we are to live worthy of the gospel, worth the gospel. So how did Timothy gain this reputation of being of having proven worth, worthy of the gospel, simply by being faithful to whatever God called him to be. Timothy wasn't always the the sidekick to the apostle Paul. He had a Christian life that he was living and just being faithful in the little things. I'm reminded of Colossians 3 where it says, whatever you do, big or small, whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord rather than for men. It is Christ whom you serve. Jesus' own words, he said, if you are faithful in the little things, then you will be faithful in the large ones. So I'm reminded about your faithfulness. 
about the people who are faithful to, to speak up about the Lord at the gym, about the people here who are faithful to, to be in touch with our missionaries, to, to encourage them the way Timothy was encouraging Paul. I'm, I'm reminded about the people who come in midweek to put the little cards and the pens in the back of your chairs so it looks neat for you. I'm reminded about the, the children's classroom teachers or our VBS teachers who are just faithful to give the gospel to children. I'm reminded about all the people that brought in Christmas boxes, over 500, what was it, 538 Christmas boxes came in for Operation Christmas Child because you're putting the gospel first in that area of your life. Being faithful in those little things proves that you are worthy of the gospel. So continue to be faithful, tired Christian. Continue to pour out, to persevere, though you're weary. And for the rest of us, maybe one application is, today, can we send a text or write a card to one of those quiet, faithful servants who is living the gospel-first life in small ways, but remaining faithful, proving their worth over and over? And let's join that army of people who are doing that. So that's Timothy. Now we're going to look at a man named Epaphroditus. This is in verse 25. We're going to learn about him. It says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you, because he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So here's the circumstance. The Philippians had heard that Paul, their starting pastor, was in prison. So they said, we need to help him, even though we're in Philippi and he's in Rome. So we're going to take a collection. They took a collection of money, and we're going to send it. And they sent it with a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus went from Philippi to Rome. He went there to deliver the gift and then to stay there with Paul and help him, kind of to be another Timothy. And so that's what Epaphroditus did. It kind of reminds me of us as we're looking to send people to the McGee's, our supported missionaries in Alaska. Next Monday night, there's going to be an interest meeting for anybody interested in going to that short-term trip to help the McGee's. The people who go on that trip will be representing Faith Community Church, right? We can't all go. The McGee's wouldn't want all of us, right? But we, we are sending people to represent us. Just like Epaphroditus was representing the church in Philippi to Paul. We'll, we'll read on in verse 27. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. So Epaphroditus went there and then got sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I will be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. That's just Bible language to say, you couldn't all come, he came and did your work for you. He was representing you. So what do we know about this man, Epaphroditus? Not much. If ever there was a guy that you and I could relate to, 
It's Epaphroditus. First thing we know is that his name means favored by Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of erotic desires. Well, that's not a very nice name for a good Christian boy, right? But what we figure is that that Epaphroditus was probably of Greek descent and not a Jew at all. So he didn't grow up in the church hearing those good old Bible stories. He didn't know a whole lot of doctrine. He was just an average Christian guy who came to the Lord later in life, kind of like the testimonies we heard today, and just started following the Lord and being faithful in those little things. We know that he was not a a noted preacher or a noted Bible teacher. The Bible doesn't refer to him as a church leader. It doesn't mention any special ability or talent or accomplishments for him. This is pretty much everything we know about Epaphroditus. But what we can gain from this account in Philippians is that he must have been trustworthy because the church trusted him with a large sum of money to carry it 1,900 miles. If he went the, the land route, it was 1,900 miles from Philippi to Rome. If he took the sea route, it was close to 1,000. Okay, so either way, he had to travel a long time with a large sum of money. They trusted him both to carry the money, they trusted him to represent them well. He must have been in decent health to have gone that far. He must have had a job that could have let him go for a long period of time. Either that, or maybe he was jobless. We don't know. But something made him available to take this long trip. Paul calls him a brother, a fellow worker, which is really our word for comrade, a fellow soldier, somebody who's fighting alongside of him. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus' worth was proven by being faithful in the task that he was given. We know that Epaphroditus got sick. So he had a normal body, just like you and I. Gets sick sometimes. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes get entitled about my health. I kind of feel like, like, Lord, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do the good things. But this cold really just like thwarted everything I planned on doing, you know? And God says, well, you know, I just want to use you while you have a cold. And I want you to have a cold. Maybe you'll relate to somebody else. I think about Ron Wilder, who's been in and out of the hospital so many times over the recent years. Just every time he goes, faithfully sharing about God, right? See, we get entitled about our sickness, but God actually uses that. He's sovereign over everything. So can we let him use that in our lives? So I'm also struck by the fact that Paul didn't heal Epaphroditus as far as we know. You know, up until or earlier in Paul's ministry, he had the ability to heal people and in so doing, promote the gospel. It didn't seem to happen here. At least, at least if he did, the Lord allowed Epaphroditus to get almost to the point of death. And so we don't know, is that because at this point, most of the churches had been established and so some of those sign gifts had, had started to wane? Or was it that just, it just wasn't God's will? But eventually God did heal Epaphroditus and Paul acknowledges that it was a mercy from God. And isn't that with all sickness? Anytime we are healed, it is a mercy from God. Whether he uses medicine or miracle, it is a mercy from God. And Paul acknowledged that. 
I also think it's interesting, too, because you remember that in the first chapter, Paul was saying, if I live, it's for your benefit. If I die, I get to go to be, be to heaven with Jesus. Nothing's greater than that. But he doesn't have that feeling with Epaphroditus. He realizes that even if Epaphroditus were to die, he would go to heaven. But did you notice what Paul said about himself? I would have sorrow upon sorrow. That's so real. It's so real. It's, it's not, oh, well, that's okay. He's a Christian. He's going to go be with Jesus, right? Paul acknowledges the loss. What a loss it would have been. But it's interesting that even though it would have been lost for him to die, it was a loss for Paul to send Epaphroditus back. And Paul is living out putting others' interests before his own because he knew that the Philippians had heard that Epaphroditus was sick. And Paul's saying, I'm going to send him back so that when they see you, Epaphroditus, they're going to rejoice, and then I can be less concerned about their concern. So all over, we, we just see God working through these men, and it's just a beautiful thing. So Epaphroditus risked his life for the gospel. Trying to live the gospel first life, life he risked it. So what's hard for me about this message as I prepared this was that the last message I gave was from the beginning of chapter two. And it was really the height of doctrinal teaching from the New Testament, where the, the, the term that the, the theologians use is the kenosis passage, where it talks about Christ emptying himself of all of his glory in order to become a man. And it's this great theological passage and then immediately following, we have travel plans of two guys that nobody knows anything about, Epaphroditus and Timothy. I thought, this is hard to, to come from one into the other. But I, I, I thought, maybe that's just what we need, is to be able to look at how that, the height of that doctrine, what it looks like for an ordinary Joe, an ordinary Jane. How do we make that doctrine work out in our lives how do you and I as ordinary, mundane people live the gospel first life? Well, we look at people like Timothy, people like Epaphroditus. I want to close today's message by, by reading a quote, and then I want to talk about a couple of ways to apply it. Matt Francisco said, every believer is called to participate in the joyful work of fulfilling the Great Commission, but most of us will be called to the joy of glorifying God with what seems like a radically ordinary life. It's likely that very few of us will be called to be full-time missionaries. What each of us is called to is to steward our time and skills and opportunities to make disciples wherever God calls us to be. The Lord who knit us together in our mother's womb, who determines where, where and how long we are to live, and who gives each of us a particular set of skills and opportunities, intends for each of us to play a particular role in laboring for his kingdom on earth. And our roles are not meant to look the same. He has a sovereign and specific calling for each person. Instead of lamenting where God didn't send us, let us ask him to show us why he sovereignly and specifically planted us where he did, allowing this truth to guide our prayers and our actions, and that the Lord will open our eyes anew to see the fantastic kingdom opportunities he's already set before us. So what opportunities do you and I have as, as ordinary people? Well, I just have, have 
seven quick ideas here. The Great Commission is for all of us. The Great Commission is the part of the Bible that tells us that we are all to make disciples. That's not just for pastors, that's for everyone. You know, I, I didn't even get into ministry work until I was 40. But when I was, when I was a late teenager and in college, I, I remember being taught about the Great Commission and thinking, that's for me. I'm supposed to be making disciples. And at that time, I, I decided in my life that I would try to schedule an hour a week of discipling somebody, getting together with somebody to help them in their growth. So when I was in college, I, I did that with other college students. When I came home for the summer, I would grab one of the kids from our, our church's youth group and just get together and read the Bible with, with him and pray. Then uh, when I when I became a young adult and married and had kids. I was picking up a, a, a young man from, uh, or who was still in school every Friday morning at six o'clock. We'd get together, I'd open the Bible, we'd read a passage, we'd pray. No preparation, no pressure at all, but just I'd pray for his day, he'd pray for my day, drop him off at school. And the, the point is that maybe an application is for you to say, you know what, can I just grab a hold of somebody and say, hey, let's just read the Bible and pray together. Just start discipling. Start helping somebody else in life. They need your help. There's always somebody behind you, right? There's plenty of people ahead, but there's always somebody behind you. Just grab their hand and say, come with me while I, while I live this, this gospel life. Come with me. So that's one thing. Another thing, our, our children's program downstairs uh, has diminished in workers. We are we are in a dearth of workers. In fact, I can't remember the last time Nicole King was up in a service because there are so few workers in our children's program. Oh, you'd be so blessed to be able to put the gospel first and one hour a month go downstairs and sit with our kids and share the gospel with them. What a joy that would be for you. And just to be faithful in that little thing, that is one, another way that you can apply today's message about being a gospel-first Christian as an ordinary person. I shared with you the easy ways to share a gospel. I don't care if it's that way or another way, but just get familiar with how to share the gospel in a short, less than two minutes. And if you start working on that and praying on that, you'll be amazed at the people the Lord will bring into your life that you'll get to use it. So just make that little effort at home. When you open your Bible to read, just read through the one column in that, or one, one row in that chart. Do something nice for a neighbor. I, I was struck with this. Uh, we had some neighbors who were, were really in a bad way. Um, they had just moved in. They were very distant with us, cold, kept us at arm's length. And uh, after a couple of months, we found out that their dog died. So Denise went and got a bouquet of flowers and left it for them. Well, that opened up a whole relationship. Next thing you know, they came over to our house and we started to have a relationship with them. Just that little bit of care with a neighbor will go a long way at opening up a gospel opportunity. Be in Epaphroditus and encourage one of our missionaries. Look at our back board there with our missionaries. Pick one and just write a letter. Send a text, write a note, whatever. But just reach out. Be an Epaphroditus, supporting somebody who is in gospel work. Another thing you could do is just simply remember this, that your job is not the most important thing. Your job is just a cover. Your most important thing is to preach Christ. 
right? That's, that's what the Holy Spirit told us in Ephesians, in, in Philippians. The most important thing is that Christ is preached. So when you go to your job, what's the most important thing? Do your job well, as to the Lord. But remember, the most important thing is that you preach Christ. Your job's just your cover. And then finally, finally, just a, another quick little thing. We have a track rack in the, bla- in the back grab one of these. This says thank you. Everywhere we go, I don't know how Denise remembers it, but like every interaction we have with cashier or waitress or whatever, she goes, oh, I just want to share this little card from my church. It's a thank you. You know, she just does that in that girly voice and it's so sweet and so unthreatening. But the point is that she sees every opportunity as a sovereign engagement from the Lord. I don't. I'm like, get me out of here. Right, you know, here's my money. Oh, you're taking more money off my card, right? You know? But Denise just sees every opportunity. At, when we go for walks in the morning, a neighbor's out. Some, I, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to stop and talk. Just get me home. I got to get to work. And Denise right away starts engaging, you know, because she sees every, and I know many of you are like this, but we've got to be thinking that way. Every contact we have is sovereignly orchestrated by our God. And he put you there because he wants you to be a gospel-first Christian. So we're going to stand now together and we're going to, going to, uh, to pray. And our prayer is that we would learn the gospel-first life and just apply one thing from today's message. And hey, it doesn't have to be one of those ideas. There's all kinds of ideas out there. But do one thing to make yourself become more, a go- more of a gospel-first follower of Christ. Oh, Lord, help us as we look to you. Father, our lives are so ordinary, and, and the thought of doing big things for some of us is, is just a dream. For some of us, it's just a past nothing. But, Lord, use us in the small things. Help us to be faithful in the ordinariness of life. Whether I'm a pilot or keeping the kids at home, a dentist, a hygienist, whatever it is, a school teacher, anything, Lord, in the mundaneness, help me, help us to live the gospel first life. In Jesus' name, amen. I thank you for being with us this morning.